0: Welcome to the Six Hats podcast, where I, Dr. Shami, a lifestyle and nutritional medicine family doctor, will talk about how women strive to find balance each day by juggling their six roles, being a woman, mother, daughter, partner, business owner, and professional. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Six Hats podcast. I'm really excited to have Mary Lou Kuhn back with us. So for those who haven't listened to her previous podcast, it's a must. Go back, listen to it. It's all about anxiety in teenagers and how she helps them develop strategies and actually make anxiety her friend. So that's so awesome. So Mary Lou is a coach, mentor, and facilitator helping carers and educators of youth gain the tools they need to support children's mental and physical health. She also has a bachelor's in social sciences and psychology. So Mary
1: Lou, welcome back. Hello and thank you. Thank you so much for having me
0: back. So we were just having a conversation. You're now in the Mint Clinic and you're seeing various patients and it was so interesting. So when I refer a patient to you, we're talking about youth with maybe dealing with a lot of different types of anxieties and maybe other challenges that they face. And what was so interesting in our conversation was that you also tap into the parents and how they influence the child and the emotions of the parents and how that has an impact on the child. So I would love to spend the next 20 minutes or so exploring that because that's something really new to me because, you know, when you go in and you send patients through, you're thinking, that's all I'm dealing with the child. This is what we need to like focus on the child. But you're looking at that holistic overall picture, which has a massive influence.
1: Absolutely. That's why I love in that first session when clients do come to see me and I love how surprised the parents do like show up as when I say, can you please come in with your child, especially in that first session? Because I do like hearing from the parent's perspective about what's going on for them and how they view things. And then just asking them a few questions because I'm a huge believer. And this is not just about believing. This is actually about as a mother myself experiencing this with my boys. And again and again and again, when something comes up for them, and if I am really honest and I look at my own stuff that comes up, I can pretty much most of the time clear it for them. Now, this is not to say that their problem totally goes away, but it's no longer such a huge catastrophe or such a huge problem, and then we're able to deal with it a lot better. And what I see a lot and a lot more of um, when I'm working with families is how much a child's, let's say, anxiety or their confidence levels or you know, even their own traumas, how much if the parents actually are also honest on working on their own stuff and where this shows up in their life, it will actually clear for their children.
0: Wow. Could you sort of run through an example? It it doesn't have to be one case, but just a general idea, for example, when a child comes in and they're feeling a certain way and what you've noticed in a parent.
1: So the biggest one that really stands out for me, for example, is, you know, a lot of parents, as parents, we want our children to be confident, to be strong, to be happy, to thrive, yeah. But then I asked parents, well, how is that in your own life? How do you model that? So it comes back a little bit to the role modeling stuff for sure. But, you know, like I remember once seeing a young 13-year-old 13, a 13 year old and, you know, working around a lot of her confidence and self-talk and the way that she sees herself and her body image. And then at the end of the session when her mom came to pick her up, the mother's language was very much putting her own self down. And I had to actually be really, really, <laughs> really blunt and say to the mother, hang on a minute, you're paying me here to work with your child. And this was early on in my practice as well. So I realized, started realising, hang on a minute, you want me here to work with your child and give them the tools to build up their confidence. But then they're going back home and they're listening to you talking shit about yourself or, you know, saying, hey, you're overweight or how crap your body looks. And, and also just imagine as a parent, the message that you're giving your child if you say something like, "Oh my gosh, you've got you've got my smile," for example, to a young person, and then, you know, a day or two later you're going, "Oh my god, I hate my face and I just look so awful." What you're actually doing on an unconscious level to that child is you're telling them they're ugly too because you just said to them they've got your smile or they've got your something about your looks, but then you're putting yourself down in that. So, Really becoming mindful as parents of our stuff, like that's one layer and how we project that onto our children. And when we clear our own stuff and when I ended up working with that mother and having her really become mindful and how she speaks to herself and when she looks in the mirror, how, you know, what what is her language to herself, what is her beliefs about her own image and body, boom, the daughter got it. Because now you've got a mother who's role modelling to her child. We can't tell children, hey, you're beautiful, you're amazing, you're this, you're that. They'll just call all of that bullshit. Children are such awesome bullshit detectors like that. If we don't embody it ourselves, and, you know, even myself as a practitioner, I would never tell a child, this is as a practitioner, I would never say to a child, like give them a technique to do that I've not practised myself. Because how dare I? How dare I t- tell a child, hey, practice this to become more confident? Yeah, I'm not practicing and I'm hiding.
0: So true. And
1: it's so incongruent. And that's, you know, what you get, incongruent parents then.
0: You've made some really important points and we can go in so many directions with this conversation. <laughs> Number one, you've really reminded me to, tell, to speak about how humans we naturally mimic people around us. hundred percent. So our environment is so important in whatever scenario. So, you know, in work scenario, our friendship groups, and they always say, actually, there's so much evidence to say, you know, if you want to start working out and being active and exercising more, you've actually got to surround yourself with people who do it. And it's so funny. I want to show you a really funny story. So I've got different friendship groups. One, they don't mind what they eat. And, you know, when you go out, where's the chips? that's fine. And another friendship group, super conscious, low carb carnivore. And I literally did back-to-back dinners and it was just the most hysterical (laughs) experience (laughs) because one dinner, they're like, right, where are the chips? The next dinner's right, where are the carbs? We're pushing it to the end of the table. We're not touching it. But the funny thing was that massive influence, you're right there and you actually do what you're... What the group is doing, that group effect is so strong. So,
1: mentality in psychology, it's really very much we are a herd animal and we do follow to fit in with the herd, and that can come under so many things. But when it comes to that parenting thing in particular, between the ages of zero to seven is when our blueprint is being created. And so we very much mimic and role model our parent. And that's who we build our parts of ourselves, of who we are. Now, of course, we've got our own personality traits when we're born. But really, it's that space of where our parents. So if you have a parent, for example, who has been, I don't know, has had really low self-confidence, doesn't believe in themselves as much, or a mother who is beating up on herself about her looks and all that sort of stuff, and then they have this beautiful young baby And this baby is watching the mother saying, hey, you're beautiful, you're my everything, but then is not treating herself well, the child is going to actually be listening to those actions rather than the words. And then that's how they'll be creating their own self-belief. So when a parent comes to me in particular and says, my child is going through this, I'll be like, where does that show up in your life? Like Another big one is bullying. And, you know, I'm about to step into a space where my eldest is going to be going to high school next year. So I'm already having these tools going, right, what happened to me at high school? What are, what were my triggers? And being really mindful to not project that onto him. Yeah. And so in our homeschooling journey, something that's been happening is having a few issues with friendships, And really the boys' main friendship source at the moment is through after school, like kids that already do go to school and catching up with them after school, not so much in the homeschooling community. And so in the beginning of our journey, I could feel my stuff around when I was younger and friendships and, you know, all of this stuff coming up. Ooh, isn't this interesting? And as soon as I clear it out for myself and I speak to it and I work on it, for me, it no longer is an issue for my boys. Or if it is an issue, I come at it from a very different perspective. And so this is what I love teaching parents, you know, if your child is being bullied, what sort of mode do you go into as a parent and what is it it bringing up for you? What is it triggering up for you to clear from when you were being bullied in school? Because this is what parents do. They go into a mode of, oh, my gosh, this happened to me and I need to put all the protective measures in place so it doesn't happen to my child. And from one parent to another here, not just as a practitioner, but from one parent to another, I'm going to ask you, who the heck are you as a parent to stop your children from having their own growth experiences? Your children need their own traumas. What you need to do the work on is not to pass on your own traumas to your children. But let me tell you this right now. Your children will one hundred percent have their own traumas, their own experiences, because that's how we roll as humans. But our jobs as parents to not keep on rolling the intergenerational trauma and to actually deal with that for ourselves.
0: Amazing points, which kind of makes me want to talk about going back to that anxiety, going back to the anxiety. It's a big topic, and literally going wow, you know, when we even talk to adults with anxiety, we actually go back to ch- childhood and go, oh, what were your parents like? Were they, they anxious? They and you've just literally talked about that. We, we Whenever min- I
1: get an anxious child, I always look at the parent and especially with the mother. And it's like, what's a mother's energy like? And if we can help her regulate her nervous system and the way that she understands anxiety, then the child's anxiety pretty much disappears.
0: Wow. Let, let's explore that. Like, what does that look for a parent who may not even recognize that they are, they're anxious. They're like an anxious parent and they're projecting it onto the environment. What, what does that look like? How do you l- make them identify that in themselves?
1: Well, first, they've already identified it because they're seeing it in their child. And so it's just about saying, you know, it's just about basically giving the brain the evidence of Asking them the question. So when your child displays this, like, for example, one of the biggest things with kids with anxiety is they don't want to go to school, they don't want to go out to parties, they don't want to be around people because they're scared of the what if. And so my first thing is I would ask a parent is how do you actually deal with that? And how are you being in new situations? So I would gauge where the parent is with their own social anxiety And then you can match that up to the child
0: quite easily, actually. And is awareness enough to make a shift?
1: Well, for me, awareness is 50% of a problem solved because then you've got the choice of whether you do want to do anything about it or whether you gain something from this anxiety because not everybody wants to get rid of their anxiety or their child's anxiety really because they get a secondary gain from it. And what a secondary gain is is, is it serves a purpose. Having the anxiety actually serves a purpose. And I'll give you an example. It might be that you get extra attention from the teachers. It means that your friendship circle is a a lot more accommodating to you than when you're not anxious. It becomes a habit rather than an actual condition.
0: Wow. That's so much to process because it's it's actually unravelling a lot because, you know, when people come to us for, for help or to find solutions, that could be quite confronting, right? That could be quite challenging. Very often. And that's where I see medicine all this time. It's very much like the patient doesn't have to take responsibility. It's about the practitioner fixing the patient. And that's where I see medicine go wrong, to be honest. And it's like empowering the patient to find the solutions within and take responsibility to take action. So when you do say that, could that be quite confronting for someone?
1: It could be, but I'm in a very lucky position that the clients that do come and see me, they are committed to that change. And yeah. I'm very specific about the type of clients that I work with. It's like, you know, if you just want talk therapy and you just want to talk about your anxiety and stay with her, I'm not going to take your money. I'm not interested. I'm here to give you results. And if you want results in how do you deal with your anxiety differently or, you know, my whole focus in is on helping your family thrive your children thrive and I get to practice this with my boys every day not every day is a thriving day and it's okay yeah but having that awareness that I've got the choice on how do I proceed with this yeah and then we look at so many things like I give them so many tools to have a look at like their value system for example and understanding that understanding what their basic human needs are you know, where they operate from, understanding what their love language is and where they're operating from. Because like, I'll give you an example. For me, when I, especially when I had my first, when I first became a mother, I realized how well I did anxiety. And I say, I did anxiety. I didn't have anxiety. We do anxiety. It is a practice. We get addicted to doing anxiety. And I'll explain to you how it was a secondary gain for me. On an unconscious way, I wasn't even I wasn't even aware of this until I became aware. So what I realized over my whole life is I would get quite sick so that my mother would drop everything and come be by my side. My love language is quality time. When you spend quality time with me, it means the world to me, and that's how you say you love me. Okay? So now, you know, my mother's an amazing woman who's built her own business and she's quite busy. And there had to be something wrong with me for her to make that quality time that I needed. I'm not just saying just to catch up here and there, but the quality time that I needed. So what would happen? Every once in a while, I'd get quite sick, even at the age of 18 where I had glandular fever and went to hospital. My mum dropped everything. She was by my side and I was the happiest I could have ever been.
0: Wow. Right?
1: So on an unconscious level, I built a habit of becoming sick every once in a while, and when I got really anxious and I couldn't get out of bed and I was like couldn't function, my mum was there for me. I got the quality time and the attention that I needed in my love language. Now, once I became aware of that, I had the choice to do something about it. And so when I would realise myself getting sick and going into that deep hole, one, I wouldn't actually let my mom know about it as much because I wanted to change that relationship. I wanted to change that pattern. And I learned how to ask my mother for that quality time when I was well and we would schedule it in. Wow. So I got sick and I have not had the anxiety that I had since my postnatal stuff because I dealt with my health because there was a lot of stuff also going on with my health and finding out that I had celiac disease and my immune system was suppressed and wasn't getting the right nutrients. So that's another really important factor. Yeah. So we do need to look at that other stuff. But when we're just looking at anxiety on its own, it's like, wow, it had a secondary gain for me. So of course I was going to do anxiety because I got to spend quality time with my mom. And when I couldn't function well, boom, she's there for me. And I realised that same parent pattern was showing up with the father of my children wow. again. So it is so beautiful. Now, if you don't want to do anything about it, fine, but then don't complain about wanting to do something about your child because, again, I go back to do not tell a child to do something you are not willing to do
0: yourself. Which which is so awesome because, yeah, it's almost like stepping back and go that's the issue of your child rather than, like, looking at the whole picture. Exactly, and your child is part
1: of you and you are part of your child. And it's, again, about looking at a holistic picture, a whole picture of you and your family.
0: Awesome. I'd love to look at a different angle when a parent sees a child as anxious, what, like, the first step they take at home?
1: Tapping in and making sure that they're not anxious, tapping in and making sure that they are present and grounded themselves. I have practiced this as a yoga teacher with kids. I have practiced this with my own children and I have practiced this in a clinic setting. If I go in and I'm frazzled, the kids are frazzled. But if I go in and there's frazzled kids and I just sit and I center my energy and I do my breathing, I connect to my core, I go into my heart and I just open it up and send them a lot, like I visualize from my heart to there's lots of love is going out and it's wrapping them up, and I'm saying to them in my head, you are safe, I've got you, my energy then is really centred. And the child feels that because then when I verbalise it to them, like even this with my own children, and, you know, they're having a really hard moment, if I centre myself like that and then I verbally say to my children, babes, I've got you, you've got this and I've got you, what do you need? Again, I'm not going in to fix it for them. What the hell do I know about what they need? Let's not assume as a parent, because what works for me may not work for them, right? They're their own individual self. So it's like, babes, I've got you. What do you need? That child is going to respond a lot better because my energy is centered. My energy is strong and they can trust their vulnerability then with me. But if I join them in that anxiety and I join them with my energy being off, it's like they have to then regulate me. And that's, that's, that's not fair. And that's what children will do. They'll regulate the parent in order for them to feel safe because they need the parent to be good, to be looked after so they can feel safe. And that's not the, the child's job.
0: You literally took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> you were saying it's feeling safe. When you think about anxiety, it's like, how do you get to a safe place? And what does that look like? And you're right. It can trigger anxiety in the parent and it's just kind of escalates as well. That's so insightful, Marilu.
1: I mean, what ch- what parent though as well is not going to have anxiety come up about their child. Let's go into the older ages here. Drug use and, you know, partying hard and all the issues that children are facing today like bullying or, you know, being excluded in, in school groups. And it's real tough on our kids today, stuff that we hadn't had to deal with. Like, you know, when I was being built bullied at school, I'd go home and I'd have a break overnight. And then I'd go back to school the next day. You know what I mean? Whereas now they're on Snapchat and they're in groups and they're seeing their friends excluding them. And kids can be so mean online because they're not looking at a person. So it's almost like they're saying it to avoid and they don't realise where their words land. So they don't even have that spatial, like that awareness of what their words do, right? So there's a lot of stuff that rightfully parents do get anxious about mm. what I'm inviting parents here to do is to talk to that anxiety and rein it in. And what is that anxiety about? Is it about your own bullying that you went through when you were at school? Is it about you when you were excluded from friendship groups? Because it would bring the, like this triggers for you mm. that would come up. And then instead of actually holding that space for your child, you would go into projection mode which will double the problem for your child. Worrying about your child is not going to help them. It will actually double the problem.
0: Wow. Thank you so much, mary I think we've covered so many amazing (laughs) tips
1: today. It is quite deep, isn't it, right? Yeah,
0: so many amazing tips. But it's just a great starter, just, you know, planting the seed, getting you thinking, getting you curious about looking at it in a different way. Before we let you go, what would you say your biggest take home message is to parents who do have children who are feeling very anxious. That's a tough one, isn't it? Sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, is, it is a big one, but I actually really want to come to you as well is please understand parents who are listening to this. I'm a parent myself and I went through very early on in the journey of blaming myself. Do not blame yourself. Again, that does not solve anything. And this conversation is not about blame. This is about accountability. This is about responsibility. And this is about you creating that safe space for your child. And so if you are going to come see me or any other practitioner about your child's anxiety and your child's issues, just step in and ask yourself, be really honest without judgment, without condemning yourself, where am I with this? Yeah? So and if you are able to come from that space, I promise you, your child is likely to get results 10 times more than if you don't. Now, of course, we can give a child strategies and tools. You know, I've worked with children that do come from broken homes or grown up in residential care and all of that. We can give them those tools. But if the family is there and the parents are there to support, it will just accelerate that 10 times more,
0: obviously. Amazing.
1: Thank you so much, Mary Lou. Thank Where you. Where can people find you? you. Well, at the moment, you can find me at Mint Clinic every Tuesday. Of course, online, MaryLouCoom.au.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Not to be missed. Got to share this podcast. It's so informative, so inspiring. So thank you, Mary Lou. Thank you. Remember that this is general advice only. Please see your healthcare professional for more information. So what's your take-home message today? Remember, it's all about progress and not perfection. And are you suffering from stress? Visit the Usawa Learning Hub on usawa.com.au for more resources on how to de-stress, re-energize and reclaim your health. Enjoy the journey.